0: have your copy of God's Word with you this morning. I do invite you to turn with me to today's passage. This morning we will be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, the first 10 verses. You can also find this passage on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. If you've been with us for the past two Sundays, you know or will remember that Peter spends chapter 2 speaking against false teachers. False teachers who are trying to destroy the church and draw people away from their faith. While that chapter is a warning for us to be careful about those people, it is also a promise. A promise that judgment will come. Judgment will come and judgment is coming for those who reject God and especially for those who go against His teaching. And this morning, Peter is really going to give us another encouragement. In some ways, the the first ten verses of this chapter is a continuation of the previous. And he gives us encouragement this morning with a simple idea. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. One of the most hopeful things I can tell you this morning. Because when Christ comes and the fact that it is soon tells us that... Judgment will be here. Judgment for those who reject Christ and hate the church. And redemption for the people of God. And so quickly, very soon, in just a short while, we will see the eternal judgment of those who reject God and reject His teaching. And the ultimate redemption and restoration of the people of God. And that is good news. We're going to see, actually, this morning, that's exactly what the false teachers were denying. It comes to light in this chapter, the message that they were proclaiming. They were denying Christ and the return of Christ. And they were using this as motivation or as an excuse to do whatever they wanted. In their minds, as we will see, their idea said this. If Jesus isn't coming back, if the Bible's not telling the truth, then what does it matter what I do? And that was their message. And that's what... It, it. Now we'll look back on the chapter 2 and we'll go, Oh, it all makes sense. But we know their message to be false and their teaching to be foolish. And so before I say more, would you please turn with me? Would you turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3 as I read beginning in verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation." But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some of you count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. God has promised us in his word that it will provide for us everything you need today. So would you please go with me to the Lord in prayer as we ask he give us what we need today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our greatest need in this moment is you. Our greatest need is to have our sin forgiven. Our greatest need is to be covered, to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. To be able to stand before you not in judgment, but in forgiveness as redeemed people of God. And this can only happen by placing our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask this morning, O Lord, as your word has been read and we prepare to um, understand it this day, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and grant us understanding, so that eyes, having eyes we may see, having ears we may hear. Hearing the truth, we may place it in our heart, that we would not sin against you. Lord, meet with your people here and now. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned just a moment ago, and in some ways, Peter is simply reviewing a topic that he has already talked about. And really, this is a summary of 1 Peter. A lot of what what Peter is saying here, he mentioned in his first letter. He says it here. This is his second letter to those in Asia Minor. Peter is telling the church that one of the most important tasks that they have before them is to remember the Word of God. One of the greatest things they can do, one of the greatest tools they have, one of the best acts of offense and defense is to know and to remember the word of God. In this passage in particular, that word has to do with the second coming of Christ. And we know that this will take place soon. Jesus said it very clearly. Um, Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let me ask you a question this morning. How does knowing and believing that Jesus is coming back and that he's coming back soon prepare us to defend ourselves against false teachers? What is it about knowing this truth and believing this truth that equips us to face what is before us in this world? Well, we will see that in our text. We'll see three truths about knowing the Word of God, in particular, knowing what the Word of God says about the return of Christ, how these three truths rightly apply to equip us for what is ahead. One, knowing God's Word, particularly knowing about the return of Christ, teaches us what is true. By knowing what it says, we know what is true, which then allows us to do the other two. Secondly, Knowing God's word will bring judgment upon the ungodly. We see that in verses 4 through 7. And then thirdly, knowing God's word, particularly about the return of Christ, will reveal God's design for mankind. And so it teaches us the truth, it declares judgment on the ungodly, and it gets us ready and reveals to us God's plan for our lives. And so would you walk along with me this morning as we go through our text, seeing how each of these rightly applied prepares us for that which is ahead. And we do recognize in this first section that Peter really hasn't gotten off the topic of false teachers. You know, in some ways, chapter 2 was very heavy on false teachers, on the apostate. Here he really is bringing it up again, just in in a different way. And... Let me review just, just real quickly. I, I don't want to, um, you know, rehash both the sermons that I've preached on this recently. But the problem with false teachers is in their name. There's two problems. They're false and they're teachers. So, false teachers look good, sound good, and what they teach may seem to be beneficial. However, it is not true. The antithesis of truth is falsehood. It is much like pyrite. Many of you may not recognize it by its earthly name, but you may know it as its common name, fool's gold. Pyrite, commonly called fool's gold due to its similarity to real gold, However, if you were to take pyrite to your local exchange, I don't even know how you exchange gold nowadays, but I'm sure you can still do it, and you say, look at this, I've got 10 tons of this gold, I want it in cash, please, they will laugh. And you will realize what you have is a 10-pound paperweight and not the thousands of dollars you thought you did. It looks true, it seems true, everything about it seems to be real, but upon close examination, the reality is it is False. That's what these teachers are. They look good, they sound good, it may be attractive, it may be appealing, but when you go to cash it in, ultimately, it is worthless. The second problem with false teachers so it, they're false, but they're also teachers. Now, there's nothing wrong with teachers. Teachers are some of the people closest to God, I'm truly convinced. And whether that's you as a parent in your home or people in an academic setting. Um, God knew that we needed help, so he gave us teachers. So what about making them teachers is so bad? Well, that they're teaching. (laughs) They've got a wrong message, and they're giving it to others. They're promoting it. They're practicing it. They're trying to peddle it upon others. They're not happy just having their own false views, but they want others to have their false views. You see, they're, they're aggressive in their tactics. We saw that in chapter 2. They, they go after people. They go after ones to drag them away and draw them to, to, to their methods. And this is what makes them dangerous. They're false and they're teaching these false teachings. And we address that many, many times in chapter 2, but we address it again here in chapter 3. And Peter says something very helpful here in chapter 3 in the first two verses. In both of these letters, this is the second letter he's written, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior Jesus through your apostles. These people have had three to five years, depending on how you date First and Second Peter, to apply the book of First Peter to their lives to listen to the teaching, to reflect on the teaching, and to use it. And remember, they were facing physical persecution. Many were dying. There were struggles in the church. And Peter speaks the truth. He speaks and calls them to holiness. He calls them to love Christ, to love one another, uh, to serve one another as God's called you to serve. And Peter's saying here, remember what I said the first time. You need to know what has already been told to you. And not only that, remember what the prophets said. And this really is a summary statement of saying, remember the Old Testament. Remember the teaching of the Old Testament, of the prophets, the priests and the kings. And I want to make a a bit of a side point here really quickly because it's a beautiful point. It's not the major point in this text. But don't miss the fact that Peter's tying the Old Testament to the New. Remember the prophets and their teaching and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. What did the apostles write? The New Testament. And so he's saying, as you elevate the Old Testament, so also elevate the New. He is bringing continuity. He's bringing... Um, affirmation to the writings of the New Testament. He's saying as authoritative as they are, so is the New Testament unto you. There was a bit of a debate about that in the church, and, and we don't have time to go into it, but especially in the early centuries, what do you do with the New Testament? You know, Peter's saying you read it and you believe it because it's the Word of God. And I just—I throw that in there for you for free, but that is so powerful, and I, don't, I, didn't, I couldn't go by it without reminding us of that. And as Peter's doing this, as he's, he's giving them this message, simply just remember what you've been told. And we get the, his love for these people. We, we, he, he uses this, this familial language. He calls them beloved. He calls them sincere. He knows them. He knows their struggles. He's faced their struggles. He wants what's best for them. He wants to offer them something that really helps. He's not just giving lip service. You know, he's an apostle, so he's like, read the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. He's not doing that here. He believes the key to living faithfully, the key to enduring trials, the key to enduring hardship is by knowing the word of God. He's not just saying that to uh, complete his task, to fulfill his checklist. He's saying it because he believes it. And I love what Peter throws in here. You always want someone to back up what they say. And, and Peter throws in here in verse 3, if you need more proof, if, if what I've said is not evidence enough, if it's not enough just to believe it, by the way, um, I'll tell you that false teachers have been prophesied about. What you're facing, what's going on, God's already told you it was going to come and prepared you for it. So the exact situation you're facing, and and for us today, that's even more powerful because we hear Peter say false teachers will come and then we see false teachers and it's like, wow, Peter was right if he was right about that. What else is he right about? All of it. But look, he he says right here, he, he, he warned the church, they're coming, knowing this, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And let me define that for you uh, plainly. Uh, The word scoffer, someone who mocks or makes fun of something, particularly um, in a religious setting. And so what are these people doing in the church? They're making fun of Christ. They're making fun of God's promises. But they're not new. As we saw last week in in, um, 2 Peter chapter 2, they did it to the prophets. As we saw the week before that, they did it in the days of Noah. They did it in the times of Genesis. From the beginning, all the way back, there were people making fun of God and making fun of his promises. Paul um, echoes this idea, this mindset uh, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He warns Timothy, much like Peter's warning the church... The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander into myths. Brothers and sisters whether we live it realize it or not we are living in the last days. We have been since the ascension of Christ from a divine standpoint, from a, from a God, looking from God's perspective down, all that's left is Christ's return. That's the major event yet to take place. We shouldn't be surprised when false teachers appear, nor should we be afraid of them. For we have what is true. Again, they're, they're problems, they're false, and they teach. Well, God's word fixes one of those because you now know the truth. God's Word also fixes the second problem, the fact that they're teaching this truth because it promises us that judgment is coming. Look with me at our second section. Peter tells us we're living in the last days. We know this because there are scoffers, right? There are people today um, that are around the church, some that that come in the church and, and then leave, that are scoffing, making fun of the church, and following their own sinful desires, So we, we know from this passage that we're in the end days. And we know that everything that the false teachers teach is just that, false. The false teachers were saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Effectively, what these false teachers are doing is saying this. Nothing has changed. Jesus didn't change anything. The prophets didn't change anything. The apostles didn't change anything. You tell us it's different. You tell us there's new. You tell us there's hope, and yet I don't see it. People are born. They live. They die. People are cheated. People are shortchanged. Unlucky things happen here. Bad things happen over there. I don't see any difference, therefore none of it matters. That's really what they're saying here. One commentator, I love how he explains this section. These people are saying Jesus Christ changed nothing. Things are the same as in the Old Testament when the fathers died. Going back further, the Old Testament's not changed anything. One state of affairs has been in place since the beginning. Our world is a closed system which has no room for the intervention of God, and any, any such idea is nothing more than a vulgar myth. People live, people die, life goes on, God is not interacting, God does not care, either he can't or he won't. And I will tell you, um, that is a very popular teaching in the world today. You go to your philosophy 101 class in most uh, colleges today, you'll hear that message. Introduction to Philosophy. It's your atheist and agnostic views. Either God can't act, or God won't act, or He's not real. But that—that's another topic. You know, the keys to being an atheist is believing in two things: God's not real, and I hate Him. But um, I'll let you think about that for a moment. These people are denying Christ as God. They're denying that He has any impact on our lives and the lives of this world, of those in this world. They didn't see the truth, the first part, the first section of this passage. So they don't care what happens now. It, it, it's 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 living without parameters. It's living without rules. It's a Lord of the Flies, you know. Let's put them on an island and go. Good luck, without any instruction, teaching, or, or positive influence, and see who lives at the end. That's what the false teachers believe. And and what makes them so dangerous is they've read the scriptures. We know they acted like they were a part of the church. They may have even been able to recite them, but they did not believe them. They did not trust in the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were really no different than the Pharisees, who used religion to gain a better standing in life. And actually, if we're honest, they're worse than the Pharisees. Because at least the Pharisees were looking for the Messiah to come. Like, you've got the New Testament wrong, at least the Old Testament's right. That was the Pharisaical mindset. These people are like, the New Testament's wrong and the Old Testament. And Peter rebukes them. Peter clearly calls them false. They deliberately overlook this fact. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. By means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. They claim that God cannot or will not interact or intervene in this world. But we go to the book of Genesis and read in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God spoke and it was. There was nothing and then there was existence. And God, through his creative process, through those days of creation, he spoke it into existence. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was land. He spoke and there was water. He spoke and there were creatures. He spoke and there was mankind. He created by His Word. That's not passive. That's active. We read in John chapter 1 that Jesus with His own hands formed these things. He, the Word of God, not anything was made that was not made through Him. And through Him all things were made that were made. That's not passive. That's active. And then by that same Word, by that same action, through that creative process, and He uses the illustration of water here, In the time of the flood, in the days of Noah, when the false teachers in his day said, every intention of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. What did God do? God spoke and the waters were released. God spoke and those flood waters covered the earth and judged their sin and found them lacking. And God purified the land. You see, I don't read this and and come to the conclusion that God is passive. I don't read this and conclude that God cannot nor will he act in this world. I read this and go, Lord, have mercy upon us because all you've got to do is speak it and we're done. I I mean, I, I I don't want to dwell on this and don't let this bother you, but we're one divine act of God away from this building falling on our heads this morning. And it would be over would be in the presence of God. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But we are one voice, one spoken word from God away from the end for our lives. That's one of the things when we talk about Jesus is coming back soon. Any of us can have a heart attack going to our car today. And you're in the presence of the Lord. And we can't do a thing about it. Or we're one person coming to Christ away from Jesus coming back. It could be. We could be down to one. One unconverted person on this earth today. Do you think about that? Does that get you excited? Or maybe you like shove it away because that's kind of fearful. That's okay. But know that if you're not in Christ, that should utterly terrify you. You should be shaking right now. That, that weird noise that's our air system that makes that rumble, that should be like, oh no, he just said that and it's going to fall. You should have the fear of God right now because when that moment happens, I'm going home. I'll be celebrating. It'll be a joyous day. Because I stand covered by the blood of Christ. But if that's not the case for you today, you stand on the precipice of eternal judgment. You stand on the brink of being judged eternally for your sins. And God cannot, nor will he, fully exhaust himself in doing so. There is judgment coming for those who reject God. And when I originally wrote the outline for this sermon, I I do it in one swoop and then go back through and correct as we go. I I ended there. I ended the passage with verse 7. There is truth in God's word. The truth about Jesus Christ coming back. There is truth in judgment. Jesus Christ is coming back and when he does, he ushers in judgment for the ungodly and salvation and redemption for God's people. But that stopping right there... It, it kind of ends on a low note, you know. Even talking about judgment for the ungodly is a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a downer. And as I kept reading, it was like, oh, because you didn't you you cut it too soon, Aaron. Like read the next three verses. <laughs> you have got to get to hope. You, you've got to get to the fact that all of this is true and it's good because it comes from a divine and holy God. But there is hope for mankind. God gives us His design for us, for our lives, for us today, if you but read the next three verses. So let's read the next three verses. Do not overlook this fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and be dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We're talking about an eternal God. We are finite. We are His creation. And so this is hard. Talking about the coming of the Lord is hard. Those of you that have been in the eschatology Sunday school class, you know this is a hard topic. (laughs) You may have more questions now than you did 12 weeks ago, and that's okay. But I can promise you this. While I can't give you all the answers, while we can't completely explain it to you in a a way that will satisfy you, God knows what's going on. He has a plan, and it's being worked out. And when we get to heaven, if it is his will, he'll lay it out for us on a marker board or on a video and go, and this is what I was doing the whole time. And we'll go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Wow, you really did think everything out Every moment, every inconvenience, every accident, everything that didn't seem to go our way, every unanswered prayer, every time we were told no, we're going to be able to see, if God wills it, how it all played out for his glory and for our good. God's word promises that. And it is so easy. It, it is so easy to, to get frustrated with God or get anxious with God. And you're like, I believe what the pastor is saying. I believe this message. I, I hear you in what Peter's saying. But why can't he hurry up? Why can't the good happen? Why can't the promises happen? Why can't the fulfillment happen? Why does it seem like evil wins time and time and time again? And good is, is trampled on. And, and good is overtaken. And we're the losers in the fight. Because we're looking at it with our eyes, not God's. He says here, a day for me is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. I've not been slow. I'm doing things as I intended to do them. Why? And and this is so beautiful in this passage. And, And please, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. If you find yourself questioning God, and I encourage you to question God about him and his promises, but do it with a willingness to accept his answer. God is slow a lot of times because if He was quick, judgment would fall. Judgment would fall in the days of the flood, in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the cities that were conquered by the Jewish people, in the claiming of the promised land. Judgment would fall. That's God acting quickly. God being slow is slow because He wants all to come to repentance, He is patient not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And I know that's hard. And I know that's hard to sometimes believe and to say things are not going well, God. They're not working out. They are so hard. They're so difficult. And God's saying, just wait a little bit longer. What is your life but a vapor but a mist? Here today and gone tomorrow. An eternity in God's presence for a trade of 80 to 100 years on this earth. It's a pretty fair trade. Peter says God is not slow. Rather, he is patient. God is withholding his hand so that the full number of believers come to faith. And again, I said this a second ago, but the truth of it is, Jesus Christ has not come back yet because either there are believers yet to be born that are not yet born, or there is someone walking this earth today that is yet to believe. And when one or two of those triggers happen, Jesus will come back immediately. It will happen. And it will be like a thief in the night. And that is wonderful and terrifying to consider, isn't it? When it happens, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and be dissolved. The earth and the works that are done with it will be exposed. Now that sounds violent, but know that in the Bible, when, often when God talks about the word fire or uses fire, that's an act of purification. It's the process that we purify gold. We talked about pyrite earlier you only get pure gold. You only get gold that really has value by running it through fire over and over and over and over again. And the impurities are sifted off and it's gone back in and it's sifted off and it's gone back in and it's sifted off. And so when we read here that all will be consumed in fire, we're not saying that these things will be destroyed because in the book of Revelation, we talk about the new heavens and the new earth. We know that God um, will send down Jerusalem and we will dwell with Him there What he is saying here is that his fire will wash over the earth, not by flood, but by fire, and that will cleanse it. Remove sin and sorrow and sickness and sadness and hatred. It will remove malice and jealousy and strife and conflict and discord. And what's brought after it, what's brought in its wake, will be pure. We as Christians will come out on the other side clean. And whole. We will be with God in a place of no sickness or sorrow or sadness. And in that same fire, judgment will come for the ungodly. According to the book of Revelation, the earth will be remade. And that will be a blessed moment for those who believe. But it will be a very hard moment for those who reject Him. And all of this is possible if you trust in Him today. Trust in him now. Repent of your sin and cling to Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with his word. In it, we find hope, encouragement, instruction, education, and promise that he will do what he says he's going to do. And think about this. Peter said Jesus is coming soon. The day of the Lord is coming soon. Everyone that he wrote that to originally is in God's presence right now. They are living that promise that was made to them. You will be in the arms of the Savior soon, and they were. Many of them sooner than they expected as they they died for their faith. It won't be long, y'all, and I don't don't say this to be morbid. I I don't say this to be challenging, but most of us in this room, we'll just go even a hundred years. I I think I can cover all of us in a hundred years. We're a hundred years from being with our Savior at worst if we trust in him today. And I can promise you this, if you trust in him today, you will be with your Savior, then or sooner. Jesus is coming soon, either to get you through death or through his triumphant second coming. And in that moment, he will be vindicated, his church will be purified, and those who have rejected him and rejected his teaching will be judged. And it may be hard now God, when are you going to take care of this? When are you going to deal with the ungodly? When are you going to... He's saying, be patient. There are those yet to believe. Let me do it in my timing so that all may come to faith. That's good news. That's good news today, my friends. May that give us hope and encouragement. Would you please pray with me? Lord, I've already prayed this morning that Christ would come quickly. And while I I do wish that for my own heart, I, I apologize if that's me asking you to go against your will. Lord, a better prayer would be, Christ, come when you're ready. I don't want anyone to miss out on the promise of salvation, on this gift, on this blessing. And so, Lord, you come when you're ready. And give us, your people, strength to endure the trials that we face and the trials that are ahead. The false teachers, they'll be proven false. The accusers will be proven for what they are. Those who seek to harm will be given that which they deserve. Their own sin will be their act of judgment. And they will stand before you and give an account. Lord, we are excited. And yet we are also a weary people through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the strength to endure the days ahead and place in our hearts and remind us often that the day of the Lord is coming soon. We thank you for your word and what it teaches and what it promises. Be with us now, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.